0: First time listeners and returners to the sports deli. Why does Colin not have a job? How is it possible that he's been whiteballed all these years? And you know what? If Tom, Aaron, Troy, Tony, Peyton, or Eli had said this is unacceptable and kneeled with him, then he would still have a job. But none of those cowards kneeled with him. And as a result, Colin's been whiteballed from the NFL since 2016. A lot of people that have come on this show, I don't know why, they've gotten some good fucking jobs afterwards. Jim Rome in the jungle. It's right here in the sports deli, baby. We got some good ass karma right here. Let's fucking go.
1: Hello,
0: man. Today's podcast is brought to you by my TikTok shop. It is unbelievable. I have hundreds of items in there. You would not believe the array of things that I have to offer you, not only for the holidays or birthdays, but just in general. It's literally a game changer. Check it out at tiktok.com backslash at Mike Hootner. Today's podcast is also sponsored by my Amazon shop. Check it out at amazon.com backslash shop backslash the sports deli. And you can see all the products that I've done videos on, my ideal list, and my shoppable photos. I may make a commission on any of the things that you watch or see, but it's at no extra cost. To do we have to refer to him as Mr. Duncan. Like, I, I'm just wondering,
1: yeah. yeah, please. I'm very formal, Secretary Duncan. <laughs> there you go, exactly. Just put a sir on the end of it, <laughs> Sir Duncan. Sir,
0: I hope you enjoy today's show. We're so honored on this 18th day of Mental Health Awareness Month to welcome Dr. K, Dr. Russ Kennedy, anxiety expert, MD, neuroscientist, and author of the book, which I've downloaded on Audible Anxiety Rx, which again, you can find on Audible and on Amazon which he himself narrates. We will not only take a deep dive into Doc's own personal struggles, but how those eventually became his thoughtful superpowers. And today you will hear the rest of the story. You can find him on Instagram and TikTok at the anxiety MD. I love that moniker. And on his website, dr-russ.com, where you can ease your anxiety today with a free MP3. He's been featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox as well as Mel Robbins. Yes, you heard me correctly, Mel Robbins, after our show, though, I would like to point out. And I'd also like to point out that you only had about 20,000 followers on Instagram before our show, and now you're close to 150,000, all because of our show, of course. But <laughs> truly honored that you're here with us
1: today. Thanks, man. Yeah, I am about last week. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> uh, I'm psyched to, to be talking to you, man yeah yeah we're definitely
0: excited There's a lot of people have been looking forward to this and uh so you probably wanted to be an anxiety doctor when you were a kid right
1: yeah you know the story i mean i know a bit of your background too so i know about your history with uh with dads right like i i had one dad but he was you know schizophrenic and bipolar and and kind of loving and caring and attentive when he wasn't sick but when he was sick you know it was really difficult to connect with him in any way so What happened to me, the short version, the short, short version of this is that that because I loved him so much, I had to start protecting myself. So I couldn't I couldn't love him and then see him go into a deep, deep depression or or a horrible manic episode or psychotic or be admitted to the hospital. So what I did was I started withdrawing from him in a way. And you can't withdraw love from one person, especially as a child without, you know, kind of numbing your whole world, which is kind of what I did. So what happened? All or nothing. Yeah. 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 all or nothing yeah yeah well i have this little theory and you may have heard me on clubhouse talk about it. it's like your psyche is is either there's love and there's fear that's it there there is there is nothing else but love and fear you know so so when you push in fear you push out love and when you when you push in love you can push out fear so but because our brains from a neuroscience point of view have a bias towards fear which kept us alive evolutionarily we tend to pay more attention give more credibility to fearful things than we do loving things so if we're not careful over the course of time that box gets filled up with fear and love just gets insidiously kind of pushed out and when love is pushed out you know alarm and anxiety and all that kind of stuff depression eating disorders ocd all that kind of stuff finds its way in
0: well wow, that's a lot to uh, unravel. that's my intro how was that <laughs> that, that was great. but so I wanted to ask for people that don't know what bipolar and schizophrenic is, is this, a, is this a synergistic type of situation where it's not just one plus one, but it's more of one plus one can be so volatile that it's like a 10?
1: Well, I mean, I think here's the story of my dad. He was born October 5th, 1934. And when he was born, he weighed 26 ounces. So that's essentially a pound and a half. In 1934, we had no neonatal ICUs, nothing like that. My my grandmother took him home in a shoebox. They told me he, he's probably not going to survive. My grandmother told me that she could get her wedding ring up to his shoulder, right? Wow. So he was, you know, it's, it's it was a miracle he survived, really. And um, wow. but he did have some problems. So typically schizophrenia and bipolar don't occur together. I just think that his, you know, his makeup when he was born was so traumatic. And, you know, I think his closest uh, sister was 15 years older than him. So he really, you know, he got it both nature and nurture. So, you know, it was a miracle he survived, but he did have significant emotional problems, even though when you talk to him, he was normal. He had a, he had like the number one radio show in Sudbury for a long time. And um, uh, Jennings, Peter Jennings was there at the time. And he said that my dad had the smoothest voice he had ever heard. Wow. That's fascinating. So you ran for the hills. Um, you know, I, I kind of did a, a combination of things. So I would withdraw, but I would also sort of engage this rescuer kind of um, uh, helper. Do you think that's a nature versus
0: nurture kind of thing? Or, or because I had the same kind of thing. Like I went into, you know, after my, my father took his own life, I went into, you know, just uh, helping people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we sublimate based on our own personality. Like if your personality has that kind of loving, giving quality to it, you'll make the best of it by helping other people. If you don't have that quality to it, you probably won't. So I think there is, you know, there is a bit of nature in that, in that, you know, what's your nature like? Is it, you know, sharing and kind of giving and that kind of thing? If that's the case, then you're much more likely to turn that tragedy into something more beneficial. Like I saw you had an interview with Jeremy Burright and and Jeremy did the same thing, right? Like he he became a leader because he needed to be that leader and he took all that angst and he put it into helping other people.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's doing some amazing things. Yeah. Simultaneously dealing with his own stuff. Yep. So it's cool. Makes him a better basketball player as well. Sure does. Especially under pressure, I would imagine. So you're in Canada the entire time, right? Yep. Yeah. I've been living in Canada for my entire life. And so how is mental health viewed there versus say the United States?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know how the U S really does it. I know here it's, it's looked at in a very medical way. You know, we treat with a lot of medications. And when I was a medical doctor, you know, that was kind of our go-to is we would go to, Um, medications as opposed to therapy and counseling, because as a, as a medical doctor, I didn't have a lot of time to deal with people's emotional issues. So I would only have, you know, I worked in a clinic, like an urgent care clinic. So I would only have about 10 to 15 minutes with each patient. So I would see a lot of people with, you know, with, uh, lacerations and, and bladder infections and pneumonia and that kind of thing.
0: The thing I thought about when you were, when you were just speaking was, cause I, I don't want to, uh, skip, uh, because I want to talk about the medical part that you were talking about, but, yeah, sure. but, but was there a light that went on during these 15 minute sessions where you're like, man, this can't be it.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there was, and, you know, to tell you the truth, there were a lot of people that came in to see me with anxiety even when I was working at the urgent care clinic. So I kind of stretched it out to, you know, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour if somebody was really suffering. And I remember looking at my, um, because on the computer, it tells you how many people are waiting to see you and how long they've been waiting. So I remember at some points there was like three hour wait, like this person (laughs) has been here and there's a three hour wait to see me and they would still wait. see me so it was like I was fairly popular but but I felt badly you know like like if I know people are waiting three hours to see me uh, then I kind of started to rush a little bit and then you know everything else goes off so there's no reason it's understandable that I went into burnout because I couldn't you know a lot of my a lot of my gift is actually keeping helping people with emotional issues right so so bladder infections and you know birth control prescription renewals and all that kind of stuff that was pretty easy stuff, uh, but I what I really liked doing was helping people with their emotional issues and you can't do that in fifteen minutes. So I burned out. Uh, I left practice in 2013, and you know completely burned out and and really did ayahuasca, did LSD, all that kind of stuff because I had to find myself again. I had to find why. I suffered so much with anxiety and what lsd showed me was the anxiety was actually not in my mind at all but it's old trauma that was stored in my body and i found lsd showed me it's this purple fist size density that's in my solar plexus and i don't know what lsd does i mean i do know what lsd does to you from a neuroscientific point of view but you know, it was one of these things where you get this revelation. It's like, oh my God, I've been trying to fix my thoughts all my life and the thoughts haven't been the problem. You know, it's no wonder why I, I still suffer with anxiety decade after decade because I'm trying to solve the wrong <laughs> the wrong problem. You know, it's like having a fire on third street and sending all the fire engines to first street. You know, you're not, you're not going to heal the problem.
0: Wait, okay. So <clears throat> for people that have thought traditional means is, is the you know, key to unlock the answers to all of our problems. Right. So, so you're saying, for example, and I think I've heard you talk about this, you have to stop yourself, acknowledge it when it's happening, in this case, anxiety, Yep. Um, and do something
1: physical? Well, I think you have to get out of your head and into your body. Like that is probably the key message that I tell people is that when you're, when you're trapped in thought, and one of the sayings I love to say is that you can't beat thoughts on their own turf. Like when when you go into your own thoughts, and you're trying to fight with your brain, and part of your brain, your ego brain is trying to protect you with worries. And the other part of is trying to reassure you by telling you that those worries aren't real. Of course, you're going to get into this loop in your head and you're never going to solve anything, right? So the trick, I believe, is to move into your body, move into the sensation of your body, like your breath, like put your hand on your chest, like really connect with your sensation because sensation will bring you into the present moment. So when you're in the present moment, you have such more resonance in your nervous system to be able to deal with stuff but if you're trapped in your head and your head's arguing with thoughts like you're sick no you're not you're sick no you're not you're sick no you're not you know all this kind of stuff like you're never ever going to get to a place of peace so the only real way of understanding that is realizing that anxiety is really a state of alarm that's in your body address that state of alarm You know with like breath or touch or whatever and i know i'm sounding pretty woo woo here for a medical doctor but it's really about getting out of your head and into your body but the problem with that and the reason why most people don't do it is because a lot of the old trauma from our childhood is stored in our body so we don't want to go back down into feeling town because that's that's what really hurt but that's exactly what we have to do in order to get out of that constant loop in our minds of trying to worry ourselves out of a problem and try to fix a feeling problem with a thinking solution because it doesn't work that way. Okay. So, so the thing that I thought about was wounds, traumas, and triggers.
0: Sure. But before that, now between 13, when you burned out and now, was that when you went spiritually on a journey to find yourself, was yeah, that I, and I
1: would say and scientifically too I mean I, I lived at a temple in India for a while and I kind of studied the science of spirit there and and then all the while I've always you know I've got a degree in neuroscience so I've always been really interested in neuroscience and how the brain works and how how it creates these circuits that actually cause more problems than they solve so it's you know it's a combination of yeah spirit but there's also a tremendous amount of science behind it too. When we look at the, the, the body as a reflection of our old trauma and how it holds that old trauma and almost sort of rations it out to the brain and the brain has to do something with that trauma. And typically what it does is it creates stress and worry, which of course just creates more alarm in the body. And you get caught in what I call this alarm anxiety loop. So you the alarm in your body that's been, that's been stored there from your old trauma, energizes these negative thoughts in your mind because your mind is a meaning making make sense machine and it reads your body all the time. And if there's old trauma stuck in your body that's pretty significant, which both you and I have, the mind creates these negative thoughts which aggravates this survival alarm state in the body, which of course creates more negative thoughts. On top of that, when we get into a survival alarm state in our body, we shut off our prefrontal cortex, which is the the part of our brain that allows us to really be present and be rational. So on top of being in an alarm survival state, the worries that we create appear more real because the parts of our brain that would say, hey, this actually isn't happening, this isn't accurate, are shut off. So we get kind of double whammied in a way. Okay, so it looks like my power came back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have the lighting back, ladies and gentlemen. To be a stand-up comedian, man, you must have had some phenomenal content.
1: Man, that- It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. I mean, I think one of the one of my jokes that I really liked was the fact that I have health anxiety and I'm a doctor at the same time, which was, you know, which is a really bad combination because, you know, I don't just get regular diseases, I get the fancy, you know, dermatomyositis, I get all the fancy fatal diseases, I don't get the easy ones. And what I would do is I would order tests on myself because here in Canada, the tests are free because, right, you know, right. you need a doctor to order them, but they allow you to order tests on yourself. So, you know, I got uh, an MRI on my head. If I had a headache for more than a couple of days, if my stomach was bugging me, I get an ultrasound. I think I, you could throw a couple of pap smears in there too. At some point, I was very paranoid <laughs> about things. God dang. So, so that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's a very short version of that joke, but but, you know, it's, it, comedy was one of those things that allowed me to really exercise the right part of my brain, because the left part, you know, as being a medical doctor is very analytical. It's very left brain. It's very linear. It's very logical. And I think that was, you know, my artistic side really didn't get fed too much by, by the real highly analytical side of being a medical doctor. So that was another reason why I burned out that and the fact that I could only spend, you know, seven to 10 minutes with every patient. And it was, it was really, really hard. So yeah, I, that was one of the reasons I really just thought, I just can't do this anymore. And when I, when I left medicine in 2013, cause I ruptured my left Achilles tendon and that was like, okay, I'm out. That was the reason that was the reason that knocked that finally knocked me out. I've been burned out for like probably five years before that, but until I ruptured my Achilles tendon, that was the, that was the straw that broke the doctor's back at that point. Like that was done. And uh, that led me on this journey to where I am now, which is writing the book and, and doing the clubhouse rooms and really helping people with the anxiety disorder that I struggled with from my childhood. So I really, as you said, as we started this thing before the whole, before all the power <laughs> outages and the things, it's like I really wanted, you know, I really have this sense in me to be connected and helping other people. And uh, I really wasn't feeling like I was doing that as a medical doctor. I felt like I was giving people pharmaceuticals to cover up the symptoms and the symptoms were there to tell them that they weren't being consistent with themselves, with their own values. Because I think that's where, you know, anxiety and depression and OCD and eating disorders all show up as a, as a compensatory mechanism for just not being who you really are. Yeah. Wow. That is <clears throat> phenomenal stuff. So the question I
0: have is you talked about you have to get to the physical. And so my question is, does that bring everything to the forefront? So then now you're living in the present, so to speak, because it 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 it's not suppressed and and now it's literally right there in front of you when you focus on your breathing. Like for example, the breathing, because you and I both teach yoga. Yeah. Meditation is a big part of it. So that, that brings it to the forefront. So now you have a choice. You're at a crossroads, (laughs) either bury it again. Yep. Or you have a monologue with yourself or you say, wow, this has come back six times now. Maybe I should actually address the issue.
1: Yeah. I think that's a lot of it too. I think that's a brilliant question because, you know, we're asking people to go into the source of their pain. So, you know, I've got this, this guy in my, in my, um, courses program, whatever, who was bullied quite a bit when he was younger. And it's like, I don't want to go back to that, that, that poor skinny little boy who cried and was bullied. I don't want to go back there. And I said, I I don't blame you. But I said, until we compassionately go back there and make friends with that part of us that was, you know, abused, lost, abandoned, you know, had to grow up too fast, rejected, until we go back and find that younger version of ourselves. I I hate using the word inner child because it really fires people up, but that younger version of ourselves, until we go back and kind of connect with them again, that alarm energy is always going to be in us. And the only way to really dissipate that alarm, which is the the underlying the underpinning of our anxiety in the first place is to go back there. So we have to have this place where we feel comfortable in our bodies. And I think that's a lot of what I teach and show people is Yeah, the alarm is in there. For me, my alarm is in my solar plexus, but I can actually go back to a place in my sinuses where I breathe when I'm in meditation. So I can go back and forth between that pleasant place in my sinuses and that old place of pain in my solar plexus. Because I do believe that the unconscious mind goes back to that place of our trauma and takes us back there. So when we get into these really intense situations of panic and alarm, we regress back into that place in our childhood where those alarms started. So if we can go back and find that child and rescue that child, then we can dissipate some of that alarm. And when the the alarm dissipates, the anxiety, the anxious thoughts go with it. And so you reassure people
0: right when they come in that this may feel like a step backwards initially, but it's
1: going to be two steps forward. Totally. And that's kind of how healing goes. It's kind of like, You know, healing from emotional pain is this kind of two steps forward, one step back thing, because our protective ego, the part of us that doesn't want us to go back into that pain again, just keeps sabotaging us back into pain again, even when we're getting better. This is the biggest thing that I have the biggest obstacle in helping people move through their anxiety is that protective ego knows that it feels uncomfortable being anxious but it's familiar it's kind of and there's a kind of security in that familiarity so when you're getting better when you're not anxious when you're and in my book i call it you know being afraid to not be afraid you know so when you feel calm when we were children we were kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time so we create this hyper vigilance and as i as i release that hyper vigilance in you the ego is going to be like, hey, we can't, we can't leave our worry because our worry was keeping us safe. So it's kind of like two steps forward. You, know, you move into this new place where you feel like, I don't have to worry so much. And then the ego will come up and drag you back into, yes, you do. And then over the course of time, as you ground yourself in your body, you realize that, hey, you know what? I really don't have to worry so much. So I thought of a scenario.
0: Sure. You're in the middle of uh, deep breathing, during a yoga session and uh, during Shavasana, you start crying hysterically. Yeah. What is a person supposed to do in any of the physical uh, solutions that you give them when they have that moment of, uh, I don't know, a a deeper layer of of trauma that comes out and, and, and
1: how do they handle it at that moment? Because the only thing they want to do is run. Well, you know, it's like a panic attack. In that moment, there's probably not a tremendous amount that you can do to help things long term. But in the short term, you know, it's basically, you know, putting your hand on your chest, really reassuring, because that it, it's coming from the child in you that's finally having the opportunity to release these things because you put the break on as adults. We put the break on the emotional break on so hard because we don't want to feel that pain anymore. When you're in yoga and, you know, you've opened, you know, that the old saying that we have issues in our tissues. And when you open your joints, you kind of, and stretch your connective tissue. And it's called connective tissue for a reason, because it does connect us to ourselves. And when we open that place, a lot of emotion can come out. So it's like trying to let it come out for sure. I mean, I had lots and lots of people when I taught yoga that would go into tears, either in it or in Shavasana or or wherever. And it was just like, I would say just like, let it go, let it come through you. And, and I think everybody in a yoga class kind of understands that this is, this is going to happen because most of them have had that experience, maybe not, you know, breaking down into sobbing, but you know, that feeling of just being emotionally open and bare and also at the same time, feeling, feeling relaxed and comfortable. And I think that's w- a lot of things about yoga is it allows us to kind of get that feeling of safety in our body. But if you didn't feel feeling safe and calm was safe when you were younger, it's going to, it's going to bring up a lot of that old energy. So it's a matter of like, can you let that come through? So what I would teach people in advance is finding your alarm. Like, where is it for me? It's in my solar plexus for a lot of people. It's in their throat or their heart area, or even their belly. It's finding that alarm because I do believe that that alarm is a manifestation of your younger self. Because really, I think here's the short version of what I believe happens to us. So when we're children, we experience a trauma that's too much for our little minds to bear, right? So we stuff it down into the unconscious. And because the, the body is a representation of the unconscious mind, a lot of that stuff gets offloaded into the body. And Bessel van der Kolk talks about this more scientifically in the book, The Body Keeps the Score. But really, I think this is what happens. So to get to those old programs, to change them, we have to use the body or we can use the body. So I get people to localize, where do you feel that alarm in your body? And this is what I saw in LSD, right? I saw for me, it's in my solar plexus. For other people, it's in their heart. For other people, it's in their throat. For other people, it's in their belly. It's like finding it. And then once you find it, you can use it as a point of connection with your younger self. And when that younger self feels connected and safe, then you're actually solving the problem at its root. You're not just kind of putting thoughts in there like, oh, I'm safe, I'm happy you know, I'm doing all these affirmations, you're not putting a a bandaid over the problem, you're actually dealing with the root cause of the anxiety, which is this younger self in you that experienced a trauma that was too much to bear, your amygdala in your brain recorded that. And because the amygdala has no sense of time, Mm -hmm. basically, you go back to that same place, when you're triggered in that event, if someone mentioned suicide to me, part of me gets lit up, you know, that part of me that's, you know, uh, was younger and knew that my dad was on that route and there was nothing I could do about it. So can I go back and put my hand over that place, that younger, find that younger version of myself and really reassure him that, you know what, it's okay. You know, we're, we're through that, we're past it. It's in our, It's in our past because it's really important for our brains to understand that what happened in the past is truly in the past. Because as I said, the amygdala has no sense of time. So when you get triggered by something, that amygdala picks it up immediately and it will send you back into the age that you had that trauma. And until you can pull yourself back up and bring yourself into the present moment, that trauma is always gonna fire up your survival nervous system. I'll let that breathe for
0: a second. Yeah, there,
1: there was a lot there. there a lot so there. some
0: things are Sharpies and some things are dry erase markers. Yeah. And so it's interesting when you said, you know, let it go and talked about that. Um, and that's the, the verbal commands that you would actually give people uh, number six of the six dads. Uh, so he was a healer and he did vibratory. And so that's one of the things that he would say in his sessions with not only me and uh, my mom with everyone is go with it, go with it, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. because You know, you want to stop yourself from the crying. That's what we're taught to do. You know, you're like, and then you just like stop yourself. No, don't stop yourself. You know, cry hysterically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, because crying is adaptive. I mean, you know, my my mentor in developmental psychology, Dr. Gordon Newfeld at the Newfeld Institute over in Vancouver, he talks a lot about crying. You know, about how the external environment hasn't changed. You're still going through a divorce. Your pet has just died. Like nothing in your external environment has changed, but tears do something to the brain like the chemical composition of tears of joy are completely different than the chemical composition of tears of sadness. They've analyzed this. Like it, it, it does make a difference. So crying is an adaptive way that our brains can, uh, can handle things that are outside of our control. You know, our pet's dead. There's nothing we can do about that. So when something is completely outside of your control, tears help us understand from a, almost like a, a subcortical um def- non-defensive way that we can handle it. We can sit with the pain. And as you learn to sit with the pain, you get you get ascended through the layers of okay, you know, it will always hurt, but it just doesn't have that same intensity that it used to. And so much of, of what hurts us is resistance. I mean the Buddhists talk right. about this too, right? The, the pain is unavoidable, but suffering is optional. And and suffering is resistance. It really is. Uh, LSD, please. Thank you. <laughs> well, not that—not that I'm an advocate for that either. Like, like That's people right. say, because you had such a such a, a good experience on it, which I didn't actually. Ayahuasca, LSD, psilocybin were were tremendously frightening for me. Um, but I knew I had to go there to kind. Of, so I kind of took one for the team in a way to kind of explain why we have why our present methods of, of healing anxiety aren't working because we're trying to fix the thoughts and the thoughts really aren't the root problem. So the little analogy I often use is you're in a rowboat. There's a hole in the rowboat. It's filling up with water. You can bail out water. If you have cans, you can bail out the water and feel a little bit better, which is essentially, you know, learning how to deal with your thoughts, or you can go underneath and patch that hole in the boat, which is the old alarm that's stuck in your body. Once you do that, you patch the the problem at its source and you're not sort of having to deal water, you know, bail water for the rest of your life.
0: And so when you, when you thoughtfully uh, deal with the wounds, A, if they're brought up again, you're, you're able to navigate those spaces in a, a less triggered way. And you don't really have to revisit them unless they just happen to come up, but it helps you with the next scenario that's in a similar kind
1: of space. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, when people know, and people will email me like a year or two years after I, I work with them and say, you know, I had my mother come over and stay with me. And I was surprisingly able to kind of just roll with whatever, you know, she'd go through the house is like, this is not clean, or this isn't it. And I could just roll with it. And then and I said, Well, that's how you know that you've healed when the, the old triggers just don't trigger you so much anymore. And you, instead of triggering the old survival mechanism, it triggers a sense of awareness. Like, Oh, this used to really, can I swear on this? Oh yeah. This used to really fuck me up. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. it's almost like it almost induces a humor reaction because that's what they'll say. <laughs> it's like the adapt, the adaptation has occurred so that these triggers are no longer po- poking at that 12 year old inside of you anymore. It's like, you've, You've reparent, as Nicole LaPera would say, you've reparented that 12 year old, you've brought them into the present moment so that they can see those things in observation and this ability to see things clearly without all the emotional crap on top of it. Because Mm -hmm. as soon as we go into alarm, we, like I said earlier, we lose that prefrontal cortex. We lose that ability to be rational. So we go right back into our primitive emotional mind. And that's not gonna help us when we're dealing with anxiety and alarm and that kind of thing, it's just gonna make it worse.
0: Yeah, I've used laughter my whole life. My best friend and I since fifth grade, that's all we did was laugh about everything. He had trauma, I had trauma. Yep. And so how, how do you know if you're making a daily commitment towards this uh, healing journey versus you're being over analytical and that could paralyze you?
1: Well, I think that's exactly, I think it's in the question. It's like, if you're being overly analytical, you're still in it. You're still in the trauma. You know, it's when you, can feel, when you can feel it in your body and you allow it. And this is one of the things that I do with people is I, I take them into a trauma Um, you know, I I resource them, it's kind of like a semi hypnotic thing. And then I take them into one of their old traumas, not the worst trauma of their life, but a trauma. And then I say, okay, where do you feel that trauma? Like, where is it, you know, in search for machinity or pubic bone, it's usually in the midline. Sometimes what I'll see with people who had to grow up too soon and become like the man of the house or the woman of the house too soon, and adopt too much responsibility, they'll get it across their shoulders, this this feeling of alarm, and in dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people with anxiety, I started to notice different patterns with alarm. Like if people feel it in their throat, it's like I could never tell my parent how I felt. I could never tell, I could never express to them. Um, Hard areas, abandonment usually. If it's in the belly, it's almost like they didn't get enough to eat or they really felt like they, they weren't sheltered enough. Like it's almost like base base root Mm -hmm. chakra kind of issues as you go lower down with the alarm Mm -hmm. so it's finding the alarm in your system and that's and you know you can do this yourself you can basically close your eyes and go into one of your old traumas and say you know where what does this light up in my body is there like a pain or a pressure or like a a temperature is is there something in my body where this lights up and for a lot of people that i see it's the first time they've ever looked for a physical locus of their pain. They've always just assumed it was in their mind. And the reason why they haven't gotten better and they, they, you know, they eventually come to me is because they've been trying to chase their tails, looking at trying to fix the fire on third street and sending all the fire engines, to first street, it doesn't work that way. You have to, you have to feel it to heal it. And you've got to go in there in a safe guided way. And that's what I help people do. It's like, get into this sort of secure place and then we can sort of touch our toe in the old trauma and then we can come back out and then we can touch our toe in it again and then we can, and that's how you process you can't just all of a sudden throw someone into their trauma and expect them to heal because it it's just going to re-traumatize them which is which is what i believe a lot of talk therapies do i think just talking about the trauma over and over in a way is re-traumatizing it's re, it's re it's digging that groove that people already have that's torturing them even deeper I knew the Canadian in you would come out when you said
0: process.
1: Oh yeah, or How about, yeah about. <laughs> to me, about sounds like about, but was like it's a boot. It's a boot. I, I remember uh, I was I was hosting a, a pilot show for A and E years ago, and they would say, you know, uh, everything's good, but you've got to say a but when you say about. So whenever I would come to about, I would have to say, and and that's what that's all about, you know, and and still it kind of came through a little bit. But it was—it's funny how these really like little Canadianisms come out, eh?
0: <laughs> that is, yeah, hey, that's what I was looking for. Oh, right the other one, I, yeah, I the, that, How's
1: I it going, need... eh? Beauty, <laughs> beauty, eh? Yeah,
0: just <laughs> just giving her,
1: eh? Okay.
0: So, do you want to touch on uh, sleep, diet, or exercise,
1: and the important I mean, sleep is massive. Sleep yeah. is so important because sleep is one of those things where we do the repair right so so when i get people right. into their old trauma when i get into the, their alarm and they start bringing it up they'll start dreaming about it they'll start dreaming they'll start right. as we start finding this physical area in your body where your anxiety is located and then i go into really like deep sort of sources of it like does it have a temperature does it have a color does it have a shape is it consistent all the way through like i really drill down to the the characteristics of this because i like i said i believe that the unconscious mind has a representation in the body so we can use the body to go and access those old damaging programs that are stored in the unconscious mind that talk therapy can't get to like talk therapy is conscious therapy so when you're trying to get at these old unconscious programs that you as a child stuffed into your body you stuffed into the unconscious talking about it really isn't going to access it but if we use your feeling because I think when we look at, you know, if you look at uh, brain imaging studies and stuff and how how the insula in the brain is kind of like the mediator between the mind and the body. And I do believe that there is something in the insula that sort of records how we feel like I call it the emotional signature of pain when we were younger. And if we can actually get into that unconscious and feel that emotional signature again, then we have the opportunity to change it. But if we never actually get into it, if we never actually feel it or allow ourselves to feel this pain that's locked in our body, we're always gonna be chasing our tails, trying to fix our thoughts. Cause your thoughts, you're just bailing water. You're not actually fixing the hole in the boat. Oh man, that reminds me when I
0: was uh, in therapy with this uh, phenomenal therapist and he would you know, have me close my eyes. And you know, I noticed over the course of the two years that I was with him because he took me back to the trauma. And I remember my dreams changing significantly. So some went away, the airplane crashed just before crashing into the ground, Mm -hmm. going straight down. So that one would, I would always be waking up right when the plane was just about to crash, but it would never crash. And then I had a number of dreams that went uh, from appearing to be painful. The dream was identical, but now the exact same parts of the dreams were now soothing. Mm. And so that's how I knew that I was evolving in these spaces. And that's when my, like you, similar area, solar plexus, me with my belly, yep. uh, that my symptoms, you know, I still have to be careful what I eat, but, you know, I've been asymptomatic from Crohn's disease you know, since
1: 1996. And I don't think it's nice. coincidental. That's amazing. You know, because I, I think, you know, the boy and you felt finally felt seen and heard and loved by you, which is basically what all children want. And when they get traumatized, you know, from wherever the trauma is like parental divorce or, uh, you know, a parent Mm. that gets sick or whatever, six dads, yeah, (laughs) crazy dads. Yeah. You know, it's like those things. yeah, Yeah. They, we have to be able to kind of go back and find that, that child in us that had to shut down and say, look, you know, you can, you can actually, you know, come back up and that's where the importance of play comes in, you know, because play is so important because it really activates the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system at the same time. Whereas, you know, we're highly, people were anxious, are highly sympathetic driven fight or flight. You know, it's the fight or right. flight nervous. We're highly driven by that. We don't get a lot of the parasympathetic rest and digest side. So we do get gut issues a lot. And it is one of those things that can we balance out that sympathetic parasympathetic. And I do think that what happens in this survival state that we go into is we get into this hyper reactive sympathetic fight or flight state, and then we lose that ability over time to really access that calm rest and digest state. And that's what we need. That calm rest and digest state is what allows us to heal because we can't heal while we're always on that treadmill. Yeah, right.
0: Let me ask you this question before we get to the rapid fire. Sure. How many people either come in and they're on drugs, prescription drugs to help with depression, et cetera, or think they have to come to you to, and the only way to solve their problems is to get on drugs. And then in both of those scenarios, they end up not on drugs.
1: Yeah. I think the vast majority of people that I see are on some kind of medication because they've tried everything, they've tried the, ACTs, the CBTs, Mm. the LMNOPs, they tried everything. (laughs) They tried everything. And then they they say, okay, finally, I'm going to deal with you. So I would say the vast majority of people that I see are on medication. The other thing, the other sort of population of people that I see less so is people that are just on the verge, they're on that, like, I'm just Mm -hmm. suffering so much. I don't want to go on medication. I really don't want to go on medication. And I don't have a huge problem with medication, actually, um, at least initially, because sometimes Mm -hmm. we need it to kind of cope, or at least give ourselves the sense that we're not spiraling completely out of control. Right. So I'm not completely against medications, um, but I do think that they kind of, they numb mm. the part of us that we need to access the most. Unless so, it's
0: LSD, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's, then- that's the, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's the, and they're doing a lot of work now with ketamine and that kind of thing too, like, um, because, you know, the, the psychedelics are a very interesting batch of chemicals because mm. what they do is they separate you from your ego. They kind of paralyze your ego in a lot of ways, that protective ego. Wow. And when that ego, that protective ego is paralyzed, and if you look at the the almost the neurology of this, there's there's a, something in our brains called the default mode network, which is basically what your brain does when it's not doing anything. So when they did this study where they they put people on an MRI scanner and they gave them math problems, and they would notice how the brain kind of activated to that. And then there would be like fifteen to thirty seconds between where the math problem, the next math problem would start, and then they would watch. And they noticed, and this is like fairly new, like this is like early two thousands. They noticed that the brain would go into this very familiar pattern uh, when it's waiting for the next math problem when it doesn't have anything specific to do. Mm. And the posterior cingulate cortex, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of parts in there that are maybe associated with with shame and self blame mm. and self judgment. So when you paralyze those things with psychedelics, you get who your authentic self is, it comes through. And one of the things that psychedelics do is they blur the the boundary between conscious and unconscious and kind of reality and unreality and us and them. So when we have our egos, our egos make us feel like we're separate in the world. Mm. Whereas if you're on LSD or psilocybin, at least in, in a pleasant journey with them, People will describe like I felt one with everything I didn't feel separate from anything. So when you paralyze the ego and that ego is the part of you that worries and and, and is scared, you actually get to see what would I be like if I didn't have all this trauma, what would I be like if I didn't have all this ego, right, because this ego protection. And then people, when you see it, it's kind of like that movie, The Sixth Sense. When, when you know Bruce Willis is dead all the way through the whole movie, you can't watch that movie again because it's you know, you know what happens. So right. I think when you, get the, when you get that felt sense of who is my authentic self, who am I in my authentic self without all this ego that's in there to worry and protect me, who am I? And when you see it, you can go, I can probably go back there again when I'm not on these chemicals. And I think that's where people have these sort of miraculous recoveries. And again, like I said, I'm not a big proponent of, of psychedelics because it took me two years to get back to normal after I did LSD and ayahuasca. So I don't, rec- I don't recommend them lightly, but if nothing else is working, you know, usually what I recommend with people when they say, I want to I do LSD or psilocybin or whatever, there's a couple of things I recommend. One is microdosing with psilocybin because it's fairly easy to titrate. And two is like do six months of somatic therapy. Do six months of like somatic experiencing or Hakomi or any of that stuff, you know, and then and then at that point decide if you really want to go back and do s- psychedelics because you may not need them. You didn't get distracted by my somatic behavior. That was impressive. Well, like I said, I was a stand-up comic, I was a stand-up comic for 15 years. So it takes a lot to rattle me. Absolutely. Um uh, man.
0: Okay, let's get to the rapid fire. And sure. then I had I had another question based on what you said about It was the DMN, not to be confused with CNN. Yes, Uh, which apparently is not doing well. (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, So, and one of your techniques to make someone open their mouth, is one of your techniques to make someone open their mouth as wide as possible and say the letter R? And they do that three or four times a day. It causes their parasympathetic nervous system to make them yawn, and this can help them relax. Have ever done that I haven't,
1: before? I haven't heard that before, but if you look at the vagus nerve and it's, and it's uh, contributors in the face, the vagus nerve is the main nerve of the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. So any mouth activity, this is why people chew gum. This is why people chew pens. If you look at this pen that I've got in my hand, I've, I've chewed it, you know, considerably. This is why people, any oral activity, this is why people smoke. I think when to, to relax their stress, because it does activate that vagus nerve. And that vagus nerve kind of slows your heart, bait, heart rate, slows your respiratory rate, makes you feel calm. So I think that's the reason why, you know, I think, you know, opening your mouth and saying R and that kind of stuff, maybe that works. Uh, try it with me, Doc. If you want to. If you want to. I mean, I've had uh, three power outages already. I can, I'm pretty much up for anything. Uh, 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 uh,
0: uh 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 haven't done this on my podcast before yeah okay
1: i don't know if that's uh it's it's good for self-consciousness i'll give you that much it's very good at making people feel self-conscious so you you don't do this when you're out grocery shopping or anything like that or speed uh, dating yeah or speed dating although although maybe if you're in front of somebody that you don't really want to you know be with you whatever you might go uh uh, uh, (laughs) or
0: you want to be with them
1: Or, well, yeah, you want to show your
0: true colors. Yeah. Okay. uh, Empathy or forgiveness.
1: Uh, Empathy for sure. I'm not a big fan of the word forgiveness. I think that, Mm. I think that what happens with forgiveness, I think it's get, there's a connotation with, um, you just let go of something before you're ready. And I think there's a grieving process that you have to go through, through your body to really let something go before you can truly open quote, forgive, close quote, someone uh, I think you have to. I think you have to go through the grief yourself uh, before you can really uh, forgive someone. Now, the intention of forgiveness, I think, is good. I think that, but I think that it, we do it too quickly without going through the process of uh, grief.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. Advertisement or advertisement?
1: Uh, probably advertisement. I don't know why that hmm. rings, but you, you got to remember, like I'm from Canada. Eh? So it's like everything, <laughs> all those like grammatical stuff is gonna sound really <laughs> weird to me, you know, anyway. Favorite meal of the day. Favorite meal of the day, ah, dinner for sure. I For a long time, because I was so anxious in the morning, I didn't eat breakfast, right? So, uh, and I still don't, I still don't. I actually sort of, my, my eating, I eat between kind of, um, I'll have lunch around one o'clock and then I'll have dinner around six between six and seven and then i won't eat again until the next day at one o'clock
0: man that sounds like me between my lemon juice my celery juice my intermittent fasting and that's how i've lost 20 pounds been oh nice maybe yeah. i should try that oh man it's awesome uh yeah the good well the gut health it's uh you know the the celery juice has been amazing yeah yeah and the lemon juice is i don't know i saw this doctor talking about you know your gut and lemon juice i tried it and i lost in four months 17 pounds i was like is this real wow
1: I was like, yeah, and lemon is lemon's my favorite fruit. So wow. Yeah, it Go is Figure Guitar yeah. or drums? Oh, guitar. Look at behind me. Like I, right. I, I've got eight guitars, <laughs> man. Yeah. Wait, can yeah. you play something for us? Uh, maybe it's, I think it's out of tune, but I can try. Oh. A here. Nobody will know doc. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's out of tune yeah
0: it's really out of tune okay uh that's that's amazing so you so did you play when you were a kid to help you uh escape
1: i started playing as a as a late teenager oh, so wow. I would, yeah yeah because it, it was it was something that i could you know that i couldn't master so it's like mm-hmm. i'm gonna go with this until you know i get a level of mastery with it which you couldn't tell from those particular chords because that guitar, it sits <laughs> in my office. And I think Looks it's good. I think it's more of a prop for my zoom. Calls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My electrics are upstairs. I've got a Strat plus and a, and a Telecaster and a, you know, those ones I play quite a bit. And sometimes you'll see me play it on Instagram, but um, but not that much these days.
0: All right. A couple more yoga or meditation.
1: Okay. That one, I got to think about a little bit. Um, I think yoga just because, you know, it's something you can just do for, like a minute a minute and a half while you're waiting for the microwave <laughs> you know you right. want to know in real life yeah it's like sometimes i'll just do forward fold or you know i'll I'll pretend like i'm putting my hands in my back pockets of my jeans and pull my elbows together and do a backbend i think backbends are are the most oh, underrated yeah. Um, yoga yeah. pose that there is. Cause I think we don't move our spine in that direction at all. So I that's think there's true. all this old stuff that's kind of held in our spines there that when you do a back bend, it really opens that stuff up. I love it. I love bridges too. Yeah. Uh, Android or iPhone. iPhone. Wow, just yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I've never used an Android. <laughs> so I just like, I've always Mac stuff I've always used, you know, so it's just, it's second nature to me to use Mac. I have both. I have the. flip phone for my Android and a mini for
0: my iPhone. It's fascinating. It's, it's great for the audio dictation and, uh, some other things. Android's amazing. Okay. uh, So what's your favorite app on your iPhone?
1: Favorite app on my iPhone. Let me look here and just
0: sort
1: of see what i got i mean probably instagram i mean yeah, that's the thing you know it. i've been building i've been building my instagram account now for about 18 months and i've got about 23000 followers on there which is that's amazing it's pretty solid yeah yeah so it's uh yeah i guess instagram i can get i can get locked into zombie scrolling instagram for like hours at a time which my wife will kind of go hey what's going on you know and I go, Symptom. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm, I'm dissociate. And I'll say this, like my wife's a somatic trauma therapist. Right. So, wow. so yeah. So, so uh, she'll say to me, are you dissociating into your phone? It's like, yes, I absolutely am. <laughs> yes, I absolutely am. Yeah. She says, I, I, resemble that remark. I can't, I can't re- I, I can't, she'll say, I can't reach you. It's like, yep, that's
0: what I'm doing. Wow. That's hilarious. Uh, sixth sense or a beautiful mind
1: movies oh wow i just i just uh, um i quoted that just to say yes, um did. probably six cents just wow. because yeah just because i think that we live in this illusion that we have control over our environment and we really don't and if we can learn that that is the absolute case that we don't have control over this environment and be mm-hmm. open and not resist I think I think not non-resistance, I think, is probably the biggest mm. sort of stress reliever that I know of for sure.
0: Well, man, fascinating conversation. I want you to finish with with the book. Um, and we've lived through a lot the last couple of years between the pandemic and a racial reckoning as if life isn't hard enough, you know uh, by itself. Now we've yeah. had to add all these layers to it. And so tell her what about the book and and I'm starting to, to listen to it on audible and uh, it's man, it, it grabbed me right away. So tell oh, everyone thanks. about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically it's my journey. It's like a neuroscientist slash doctor's journey with anxiety myself. So I, I put in my own journey through it and the journey of a lot of my patients. And I intertwine a lot of the neuroscience that I've learned a lot of the lessons that I've learned in anxiety that I wouldn't have, have otherwise known about, and that I found through psychedelics. So I, I really felt that it's important to put out a different view of healing anxiety, which is very counterintuitive, which is saying that anxiety has more to do with your body than your mind this sort of survival state in your body. Not to say that your mind doesn't have much to do with it. It really does, but it's really the, the core of It's just finding this sort of alarm in your body. And of mm. course, you know, you can't really separate the body and the mind. But it's it is a great metaphor for realizing that there's trauma in there. If it doesn't come out, you're always going to be kind of bailing water out of that boat. Mm-hmm. And and it's and you can do it, and you can feel um, somewhat um, secure. I use that word very tenuously in it because it's familiar, you know. And a lot of mm-hmm. people, a lot of us, will reproduce the chaos of our childhoods and our adulthoods. I mean, I've been married three times, right? So um, Mm -hmm. the book is really about my journey with anxiety, how I finally was able to find something to heal after, you know, 30, 30 plus years of traditional therapies, not working and just thinking there's something seriously wrong with me, but there wasn't actually, it was the fact that I was just looking in the wrong place. Oh man, that is fascinating. Well, people are going to not have to wait 30 years after reading that book. That's for sure. Not. Well, that's my goal. And then Clubhouse, <laughs> you know, every Sunday at noon, I, I do a room on Clubhouse for two, mm-hmm. sometimes three hours. Um, and I just tell people, I just explain this to people. And it's, you know, it's taking a while for the book. I mean, the book does really well uh, in general for a self-published book, mm-hmm. but it's so counterintuitive that a lot of the mainstream places don't pick it up because, the mainstream things will tell you that anxiety is in your mind and you can fix it with your mind. And I'm here to tell you that you can't, you're just going to make it worse if you just use your mind. That's what I was going to ask you
0: um, real quick. How has it been received by other doctors in in that space? Have they opened if their I, minds up to yeah, it? Yeah, If, if I talk kind
1: to kind of- them one-on-one, they love it. You know, but if I talk as a group, they're like, well, no, I mean, we need to use medication. We need, you know, anxiety, of course, is an issue of the mind. How else could it not be that kind of thing? Like they really, um, they don't, I am this is traditional medical doctors anyway. They're not the most open group of people to start with, right? So presenting a new idea, uh, especially a controversial one like this. And I think because I am an MD. Because I have have a degree in neuroscience and a background in developmental psychology, I can talk to them on their same level. You know, if you want to talk about the bed nucleus of the stride terminalis, you know, in the basal ganglia, (laughs) you know, producing anxiety in the body, I can talk about that. But I can also talk about, you know, your old wounding really being stored in the body. And that's the real cause of, of your anxiety. And the reason why you probably haven't healed from anxiety is you haven't A, found it and B, dealt with it. Uh, and that's really what it comes down to is, yeah, cognitive strategies are wonderful. They're very helpful, but they won't heal you. You know, to heal to fully heal. You have to address these old unconscious programs that we access through the body. Well, and most doctors
0: don't want to spend more than seven to 10 minutes with the well, patient.
1: They can't, you know, they can't. Right. I mean, if you're trying to make a living as a physician, yeah. it's really difficult, you know, especially in Canada when we're paid by the patient, right? We're paid per patient. and And it's like we get paid about $30 per patient, right, that we see. So you got to see, you know, 30, 40 people a day to be able to, you know, meet your, you know, make a living and pay your staff and do all this kind of stuff, which really um, degrades the quality of care, in my opinion, you know, if you can only give people, you know, and and on top of that, what it does is it puts doctors under a severe amount of pressure that they don't need, because you really need to be able to connect with the people that, that are in front of you. That's how you heal people is that you, that you You know, give them a felt sense, as Daniel Siegel said, that they're they're feeling felt that they they're what they're saying to you as a doctor is you feel what they're feeling. And in that connection, that social engagement connection, that's where a lot of healing occurs. And I think that we're losing that a lot in medicine um, because of this time pressure. Last
0: question since you love dinner as your favorite meal. Sure. If you could have any three people at your dinner table, past or present, dead or alive, and you've never met them before, who would be at your dinner table?
1: Oh boy. Freud, probably. Of course. Um, who else is in there? Probably a comedian of some kind. Maybe Kate, say. maybe Kate McKinnon. I, I love Kate McKinnon. I think she's hilarious. hilarious. I would love to talk with her. So Freud, Kate McKinnon, and- a um, m- Musician in there? yeah let's see who would i who would i pick you know maybe oh no probably jim carrey yeah wow just because you know he's seen the other side he's seen what it's like to be like have everything and then just kind of go you know this is really not not what it's cracked up to be which is true and i think the more you get into your body and the more you realize that you have your own answers Mm. the less you need that external validation. And we're in a society that, that is just literally bred in external validation. You look at Instagram and yeah. Facebook and all that kind of stuff. They're all this, you know, comparison itis comparison is the thief of joy. And uh, yeah. So yeah, that would be like Jim Carrey <laughs> and Freud for Freud. I mean, oh, what a dinner table out. that would be. He would just be out of it.
0: Well, I'd love to interview Jim Carrey. Well, we, we've got a lot in common, uh, not just both of our fathers, uh, taking their own lives, but, uh, the fact that we're pouring into others in a way that we never thought we would and paying it forward and, uh, just, uh, trying to be the best versions of ourselves every day, man. Fascinating conversation. We got through four
1: power outages. (laughs) outages. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome.
0: One of the best interviews I think I've ever had, man. That was, uh, you know, I hope I asked the right questions, a new space. Oh, you did for sure. Um, yeah. You know, the Healthy Living with Hoot podcast is uh, sort of a spin-off of some of the other things I want to do a life coaching one and I'm doing the FYI follow your intuition one as well as a sports deli so so yeah. glad you were able to come in here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. thanks for
1: doing what you do, man. like it's it, it really is reaching people. It really does help people if we if we're, we're going through a place after this pandemic where we're so separate from each other and we and oh. we're, we're still in this place where we're we're worried about each other like is this person have the virus you know so we really yeah. have to bring that connection back and uh, if we don't, we're in trouble. Oh man. all right, well, hey, we'll stay in
0: touch and anything I can do for you, you're down south west but south i sure. i, I want to go northwest because man the vancouver is on my bucket list sure come on so, up. so yeah i'll i uh try to try to get up there um you know once maybe the uh stipulations change a little bit i don't know how strict it is still but i know australia and canada was
1: was real strict yeah. for a while there yeah come on up eh
0: <laughs> all <laughs> right ladies and gentlemen there you have it uh dr russ find him on instagram uh the anxiety md and uh you know check out his book it's it's a fascinating read and and uh it won't hurt you it can only help you all right much love doc appreciate the time we'll talk thanks soon. man see you again all right talk to you later all right there you have it ladies and gentlemen uh, in order to be the best version of yourself you got to go outside your comfort zone a little bit and pay attention to your body and when those signs come into your path uh don't run away from them because uh you know they're trying to tell you something. All right everybody. Enjoy these unbelievable outtakes from today's podcast. Still waiting on Dr. Ross Kennedy, ladies and gentlemen. He's f- standing me up. Hey Mike. Hey, what's up, Doc? Well, I'm hanging in there. How about you? Oh man, just got my 325 push-ups in. My uh five sets of core and I'll do my lunges and my lunge
1: jumps later. Nice. So you do a lot of your stuff at home then? Do everything at home. I don't go to the Y anymore. Okay. Yeah. I just started getting back into the gym. You know, I've worked out with weight since I've been about 18 years old. During pandemic, you know, can't go. We did find one gym that was at one of the universities here. Uh, It was kind of like an academic university, a real academic, like no real school teams out of it. And it had a huge gym and what it did was it pulled the machines about 25 feet apart so there's like a lap machine and then there's like, and it covered the entire gym so you would go in this circuit right clean off the equipment all that kind of stuff but it was about half hour drive but um, couldn't keep it up it was just too far to go. Yeah that's definitely far.
0: Yeah, you know, I started uh I've done weights my whole life too, but then I started doing push-ups, you know, I started with 5 and 10 and then I was like, "Man, I can do 25." And then yep. I can do 35 and then 50 and like, so now I do sets of 100. It's crazy. And everybody watches me on my TikTok live, so it's very interesting. Nice. You good. you're gogginsing it. <laughs> hey, whatever we can do to move and and uh be a better oh, version yeah. of
1: ourselves every day, right? So important. So important, especially with the trauma history, you know, cuz trauma makes us go immobile you know, and, and basically it it becomes a way of life. Oh, does it
0: ever. You can either go one of two ways and they're both your reality. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do a a quick, quick formal intro okay? and uh, we will rock and roll. I've been looking forward to this, man. I can't tell you, I, you know, there's a lot of people that'll be coming on here, but uh, this was one that uh, I don't listen to people usually for more than 10 to 15 minutes, but that that day i listened to you for over two hours and oh, uh on
1: clubhouse yeah
0: yeah it was a fascinating uh uh discussion and plot twists and it was it was uh, just a wonderful time so i really oh, thanks, enjoyed it. yeah i appreciate that all right let's rock and roll okay for a person
1: now
0: have some technical difficulties there ladies and gentlemen take two <laughs> i like that screenshot now that's a face what does that face tell you guys that face says that's – that's an interesting face that he's making right there. That face says questioning somebody's authenticity. That's what I see in that face. I don't know if Doc can hear me or not, but we are frozen. Yep, there we go. Take two, ladies and gentlemen. We will see Doc back here in a minute. And when this first happened, when I would lose people, it would like stress me out. But we just roll with the punches. Dr. Kennedy's power went out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he literally just messaged me. Holy flick! My power just went out. We got power here, so I don't know where he's at, but uh, we, are, we are good to go here. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for Dr. Kennedy. I figured I'd try some of these filters. I've never seen these before. Uh, that one says Zoom. Oh, that's a LGBTQ perimeter filter. Interesting. There's a dog barking with roses in its mouth. Oh, I'm on television. Looks like a 1950s television. A bunch of emojis on the perimeter of the screen. Christmas lights. Mm, looks like I'm in outer space there. Another television with the old school dials. Oh, I look like you know Phantom of the Opera or I look like I'm a bank robber. I a graduation cap on. I'm looking like uh, Marx from back in the day. The, the act. Oh, I got a mustache. Interesting. Love the mustache. Oh, and now I got some gla- sunglasses on with the circular sunglasses. And now I look like I'm going snowmobiling. <laughs> oh, I'm playing a 3D video game, watching a 3D movie. Uh, I don't know what the hell that was under my eyes. Oh, I have a little rose on my hat. That's cute. I think it's supposed to be behind my ear, possibly. Well, that was fun. Any other filters here while I wait for dr kennedy the anxiety doctor oh there we go i'm a cow now i'm complete animated cow (laughs) oh man that is phenomenal well
1: well well (laughs) oh canada (laughs) Yeah, yeah well here's here's the thing too like um I'm on generator power now. So I'm, I'm guaranteed that it'll stay on for sure. It's just, I don't have peripheral lights. So we're just, it's just an audio podcast, right? Like we, we don't have a video as well. No, I do video also. Oh, okay. But it looks good. Does it look okay? Oh like, yeah, it's it dark, but, uh, Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go for it again. I just had to sort of send a thing to my friend saying, well, oh yeah. One o'clock. Hey, comma. I'm going to do that podcast after all. So I'm going to miss the one o'clock call today. Okay, let's do it. Round two. (laughs) Can we address it or what?
0: So you were saying that- uh, Oh, you're going to edit it together? Oh yeah, I just
1: edited it because we're not live. Okay, because you'll see a a distinct difference between the
0: light. Oh yeah, it's all good. (laughs) We're going to have take three here, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if the generator went out, but uh, we are are having technical difficulties once again. (laughs) I thought I might move to Canada, but I'm having second thoughts now, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) laughter is the answer in the previous podcast with the other dr kennedy we talked about moving your mouse to the other side of the desk and today we are learning about humor <laughs> dr. Gone. oh man that is hilarious so uh drk not to be confused with jfk has vacated the premises, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm going to get another text message that said, the generator is now out in addition to the power. <laughs> oh, this is fascinating, phenomenal stuff. Wow, this is, man, <laughs> after 57 minutes of waiting ladies and gentlemen we get three minutes and 12 seconds back into the podcast before the generator dies oh man you missed all the laughing was that you or was that me i think it was you okay but man i was dying when i edit that in that is going to be phenomenal uh content i gotta tell you just that it
1: just goes out (laughs) But the power, the, I mean, I'm on generator, so it should just it should just stay consistent. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to
0: you carry click on the, with
1: this. Yeah, this is great. Wait, wait click okay. the video so, right. we, so we can keep going with the video. Sure, keep your video's out. Yeah, I, so uh, click
0: click start video because your video's off. Oh, okay, there we go. So it was hilarious. So I basically was like in the last podcast with the other Dr. Kennedy, he talked about moving the mouse to the other side of the desk so that you could change the position of your hips in order to heal. Today, I thought about moving to Canada, but now I'm having second thoughts.
1: Nice one, yeah. (laughs) Oh man, that is hilarious. I literally was making myself cry. Um, So we get kind of double whammied in a way. Okay, so it looks like my power came back. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> we have the lighting oh, yeah, back ladies so, and gentlemen
1: yeah, so my light is just like oh well, how did that, that happen is phenomenal. you know so we'll see i'll just keep i was a stand-up comic for 10 years so I, i'm man this is phenomenal
0: <laughs> oh man this is this is see he's trying to throw me off with with uh, my line of thinking here And comedy is definitely one of the uh, solutions, as we talked about earlier. But I'm not going to lose my train of thought, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to ask the question that I'm planning on asking next, and nothing, not one thing, not one single thing is going to throw me for a loop. No pun intended. He just talked about looping with the brain. There he goes (laughs) once again, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Oh, man. This is, man, I want to, man, his content must have been phenomenal. Stand-up comedian uh, as a neuroscientist, as as an MD. Man, that, that, wow, that's phenomenal. (laughs) Stop laughing. Oh, man. Bounce.
1: <clears throat> you should find this quite amusing, Doc. <laughs> I, I I actually do. Now, if it wasn't for the fact that I screwed up our meeting last week, I would be laughing a lot more. But um, Oh, you're yeah, fine, man. It's I, all it's good. Just, it is one of those things. <laughs> So this is the next question so, I want to ask you after your
0: spiritual journey. I don't know what's going to happen from this point
1: on. Like, was it take should forward, be okay, It should be okay, but you know, it just shows you, Mother Nature. You never know, ladies and gentlemen. Oh God! I
0: just said that uh, as a as an NMD to be a stand-up comedian. Man, you must have had some phenomenal content.
1: Man, that- It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. I mean, I think one of the one of my jokes that I really liked was the fact that I have health anxiety and I'm a doctor at the same time, which was, you know, which is a really bad combination because, you know, I don't just get regular diseases, I get the fancy, you know, dermatomyositis, I get all the fancy fatal diseases, I don't get the easy ones. And what I would do is I would order tests on myself because here in Canada, the tests are free because, you know, you need a doctor to order them, but they allow you to order tests on yourself. So, you know, I got uh, an MRI on my head. If I had a headache for more than a couple of days, if my stomach was bugging me, I get an ultrasound. I think you could throw a couple of pap smears in there, too. At some point, I was very paranoid (laughs) about things. God So, So that's kind of, you know. I mean, that's a very short version of that joke, but... Thanks for joining us today for this amazing podcast. I truly hope that you
0: felt inspired, motivated, and that we added value to your life so that you can be the best version of yourself. Remember, And you can always check me out on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Mike Hootner. And take care of yourselves, everyone, literally. You can always call the Suicide Lifeline in English at 800-273-8255. In Spanish, at 888-628-9454. And for anyone who may be deaf or hard of hearing, you can call 800-799-4889. You can also dial 988 anytime. And they are available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and 365 days of the year. Much love, everybody. Go online also, and if you're interested in this shirt, for those of you watching on YouTube... Uh, you can purchase this shirt. It's around $32 or something like that. You can get it in orange, this color, or it's in gray. And they have a hoodie, they have long sleeves, so they have multiple options as well. We want to support uh, women and the history of women's basketball uh, in every sense That's of the one. word. Feel free to send me an email to thesportsdelly at gmail.com. Also, check out my link tree. It's backslash Mike Hootner. Also, like to thank a few people. 40 Tons Brand is a socially conscious cannabis brand, and they're doing amazing things. Check them out. We'd also like to thank Moolah Kicks, the first ever female brand basketball shoe in the history of the world. We'd also like to encourage you, if you're having a hard day, and if you're feeling like you just don't want to live anymore, all you have to do is dial 988 from any phone, and there will be someone there, 24-7-365. Don't feel like you have to fight this battle alone. Don't forget to do your self-breast and self-testicular exams every month. It's really important as early detection is the key. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Reach out to your local and state politicians for any individual or group that you feel are being marginalized. Stop the bullying, stop the Asian hate. Let's end gun violence with common sense laws. Let's be allies for the LGBTQIA community and I challenge those of you in the white space to be anti-racist, to be bridges and vessels, to help bridge the gaps between black and white America. And remember, until next time, Takes a Village, everyone. Much love.